The evening was quiet when the druid led his followers up the hillside. He was an elderly man, with a face creased from years in the sun, dressed in a white robe and leaning heavily on a staff of blackthorn wood as he limped up the slope. At his side, a man in fine clothing with a sword at his belt, the chieftain of the tribe, assisted the wise man, gently supporting him as he paused for breath. Behind them, a large procession trailed into the distance, more than a hundred farmers, artisans, and laborers walking slowly and silently with rucksacks on their backs. The air was crisp, cold, and still as the sun descended towards the horizon. Their destination loomed out of the golden twilight in front of them. Two concentric half-circles of pale gray sandstone blocks, each one taller than a man, carefully stacked to form an elaborate, slightly asymmetrical monument at the summit of the hill. The druid placed one hand lightly upon a stone. The hinge was ancient, dating back far beyond living memory. According to the bards, it existed long before humans or elves had ever set foot in Keldrun. Its origins lost to the dim annals of prehistory, when giants and monsters roamed the land. According to the myths, at least. The villagers took up positions around the monument under the druid's quavering direction. The rucksacks were emptied, piling their contents, a mixture of roughly chopped logs, dried livestock bones, and bundles of fresh mistletoe, into a trio of mounds. The sun approached the tree line, and silence fell. A fading ray of golden light passed cleanly through a gap between two carved stones, framing the setting sun on either side with an abstract geometric carving. The man in white took up an old traditional song, joined in chorus by the congregation. The piles of timber and bone were lit, illuminating the hilltop in a flood of warmth and flickering amber light. As the sun lowered slowly down between the stones, and beyond the horizon. Outside of the bonfire's glow, the world was dark. On two days every year, the summer and winter solstices, this ritual was conducted. The ancients had shaped the monument to perfectly frame the sun's rising on the longest day of the year, and its setting before the longest night of the year. Though the purpose of the ceremony had evolved over the centuries, its origins fading into legend as it took on a life of its own, it was nonetheless still observed with great formality. For a time, the people stood in silence, before gradually dispersing and making their way towards home, the village of Brinshaw, a small handful of miles to the west. The mood lightened from solemn to cheery as they went, with chatter and laughter ringing out through the woods in anticipation of the feast that awaited them back home. The druid and his attendant, however, remained, somberly gazing up at the sky as though watching for something out of the ordinary. It was the night of the winter solstice, the longest night of the year, and the beginning of the festival of Elftide. Summer was the season of life, 
and conversely, winter was the season of death. According to folklore, it was this night, when mortal life was at its lowest point, that the barrier between the mortal world and the other world, where the supernatural resided, was at its weakest. All across Keldroon, you can find horror stories of those who dared to ignore the implicit threat of Elftide. From tales of werewolves in the territory of Osira, to the will-of-the-wisps luring wayfarers to their deaths in the eastern bogs, folklore constantly reminded the island's denizens that mortal life was fragile and fleeting when weighed against the unknowable forces that pervaded our world. In the kingdom of Bralin, within which the village of Brinshaw lay, travelers feared the march of Haraldra's hunt, a host of elven riders who, supposedly, would emerge from below the earth to prey upon the creatures of the surface world, beast and man alike. No matter how festive and merry the upcoming feasts would be, it would not do to leave the protective rites unobserved. As the fires burned low and the bones turned to ash, the druid and the chieftain turned and began the long trek back toward civilization. The first night of Elftide, was only just beginning. Welcome to a world very much like our own, but with a crucial difference. In this world, folklore is rooted in stark reality. My name is John Kernett, and I'll be guiding you through stories of strange events, close encounters, political conflicts, and tragic history, all set in a unique world that blends reality and mythology. This is the Wayfarer's Compendium. Back in the village of Brinshaw, hundreds of people milled about. Though the frozen winter wind was rising, shaking the boughs of the alders and oaks outside the settlement's walls, dozens of bonfires illuminated the enclave of warmth and life within Brinshaw. At the center of town was the Brewery's Lodge, a massive building of stout timber providing shelter for both residents and travelers. At the time, the lodge was overflowing with merrymakers and revelers, all passing massive tankards of ale around the long, low tables scattered throughout the great hall. The mouth-watering scent of roasting meat and wild garlic permeated the air as entire deer, stuffed with herbs and seasonings, turned slowly on spits above open-air cook fires. Bubbling stew was ladled out of massive cauldrons as party-goers drunkenly sang old songs and toasted to times gone by. In the square outside the lodge, the surrounding houses had been commandeered for the celebration, their doors thrown open for all to seek shelter from the cold. Villagers milled about around bonfires, which would snap and spark at irregular intervals, 
as cattle bones cracked within the inferno. Occasionally, a passerby would toss a piece of meat or a splash of mead into the fire before continuing on with their night, an offering to departed loved ones and wayward spirits alike. The fires were not merely for warmth. According to certain superstitions, they kept ghosts and fairies at bay, tiding them over until the solstice had passed. The festival was the high point of Elftide, a celebration of life in the face of the deathly winter cold. All across Keldrum, in every sprawling city and isolated hamlet, people raised bonfires and feasted. Many individuals who had left their families' ancestral lands, whether for commerce, war, or study, made the long, often dangerous journey back home to be with their loved ones. Despite the harsh conditions, it was a beloved tradition, at least within the safety of civilization. Those who traveled to return home made it a point to arrive before the solstice itself. It may be easy to shrug off the risks as simply superstition, but for all the merriment and cheer, the festival originated in the belief that the season of death was fundamentally a dangerous time. Perhaps it could be explained by natural philosophy. After all, winter was typically a frostbitten time of scarcity and starvation. When a pilgrim failed to reach their destination, who could say whether they were taken by an evil spirit or simply died of hypothermia? The unknown tends to encourage the imagination to run wild, filling in the void with any explanation that could be found. Regardless of the truth, the tribes of Keldarun grew to fear the advent of winter and whatever dangers it brought with it. In the safety of Brinshaw, however, those fears were distant as the night wound down. Some among the populace had already fallen asleep, gently cradled to slumber by alcohol and the fatigue of the day's labors. Others carried on until the last pre-dawn hours as the bonfires burned low talking quietly about the past, present, and future around beds of glowing embers. All around them, their friends and loved ones slept peacefully and awaited the coming of spring. Far from the comforting fires of Brinshaw, however, the freezing winds howled over the hills and woods. A solitary traveler passed along the road, pulling his cloak tightly around his body to ward off the biting cold. The sky was unclouded, and the innumerable stars shone brightly overhead in a glorious spectacle, crowned by the waxing moon that cast a pale glow over the land. Below the heavens, the earth was far more grim. The forest's canopy obscured the moonlight, drawing a dancing pattern of shadows along the ground. The trees provided shelter from the gale, but each hilltop the traveler crested exposed him fully to the elements. The journey was an unpleasant one, made worse by the worries that plagued the man. At every whisper of wind and cracking twig, he jumped. It was an ill-fated time to be on the road. The solstice was upon him, and superstitious fears dogged him at every fork in the path. 
He knew his destination could be no more than a few miles away at this point, but even a few miles felt like an eternity as the cold and fatigue from a long day on the road sapped his strength. He reached the summit of the next hill. The tree line fell back as the elevation increased, granting him a clear view of the valley ahead. The vale was long, broad, and shallow, with a sluggish river lazily winding along its floor. The stream narrowed and became turbulent at certain points as the forest encroached upon its territory, coursing over boulders and down burbling falls. His dampened spirit warmed somewhat. Just beyond the next ridgeline, his destination awaited him. He was nearly home. He braced himself and set off once more. Down the slope he went, picking his way through the underbrush that had crept into the uncobbled road, more of a deer trail than any sort of real highway. At times, he stopped to disentangle his cloak from the grasping brambles. At others, he slowed to carefully lower himself down a ledge. By the time he approached the valley's nadir, he was winded and sweating, despite the temperature. When he heard the distant sound of a hunting horn, his blood went cold. He stood motionless, straining his ears to listen. There, from far behind him, the clamor of hounds baying could be heard. His fatigue was forgotten in an instant as panic struck him. All at once, he broke into a run. Tree branches whipped at his face as he went, his cloak tearing against the thorns and vines. His breath was ragged and his chest heaved, but he couldn't stop for an instant. The sounds grew louder, echoes of wolfhounds snarling and horses whinnying, broken by the clarion call of a horn cutting through the wind. Suddenly, the trees vanished and the river loomed out of the darkness in front of him. He skidded to a halt, gasping for air. Glancing behind, his heart sunk as he realized what he had done. His reckless advance had cut a clear path through the forest that even a blind tracker would have been able to follow. Heavy footprints in the mud, broken branches scattered alongside, and scraps of dark brown wool from his cloak hung upon razor-sharp thorns. Looking between the forest and the river's edge, he made a choice. The only choice he could in those circumstances. He waded into the freezing water, gritting his teeth as his boots and cloak were soaked through with icy liquid. The riders arrived at the river's bank. There were more than a dozen of them, all dressed in rich clothing dyed all manner of hues, with swords hanging at their sides and bows slung over the pommels of their saddles. They were beautiful, an unearthly, eerie beauty that poets would have sung about, if not for the cold, lifeless glint in their eyes that spoke louder than words their cruelty. Riding at their forefront was a towering man, fully a head taller than the next, atop a pitch-black steed, the clear leader of the host. Bloodhounds pulled at their leashes and sniffed the ground. 
the trail ended here at the water's edge, and there were no footprints in the soft loam on the far side of the river. The dogs whined uncertainly. The riders held a brief, muted conversation. Their quarry must have flung himself into the river to escape the hunters, and they set off downstream, riding at a slow, measured pace as they scanned the languid waters. From his hiding place along the rocky banks on the far side of the river, a mud-slathered figure gasped for air. His entire body was coated in dark sediment and river grass, indistinguishable from the rest of the shallows in the moonlight. He was shivering violently and nearly hypothermic, his body temperature dangerously lowered by the glacial mud he had disguised himself with. But he staggered to his feet, and slowly, shakily, began making his way up the far side of the valley. If he could only make it over the next hill, he would live to see another spring. It was long past midnight in Brinshaw when a traveler arrived, covered in river mud and racked by exhaustion. The brewery's lodge was still half full when the traveler staggered through the doors, and he gratefully accepted a bowl of rich broth from a worried friend as he collapsed onto a bench by the fire. As the warmth from the hearth and stew began reviving him, restoring feeling to his numb, frostbitten hands, he sighed in relief. He was home. If you enjoy the Wayfarer's Compendium, the best way to support the podcast is to share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. <laughs>